Pilot TV podcast this week, we join Big Gris for his deck-centric DJ comedy Turn Up Charlie, strap in for some animated automatons in David Fincher's Love, Death and Robots, and prostrate ourselves before the altar of Amazon Prime Video for the very long overdue return of American Gods. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, the audio Sherpa that guides you through the treacherous mountains of peak TV, charting a sure-footed path through the crags of average telly, while simultaneously carting all your luggage around on our backs. Joining me today are, as ever, my two co-hosts. To my right, a woman who, if she were to join the Pantheon of Gods, filling the ranks on Amazon this week, I like to think would be... Cherniborg, the Slavic god of darkness, who bludgeons victims to death with a hammer, or in the case of Terry this week, a Louis Theroux documentary. It's Terry White. <laughs> Hello, James. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? I'm good. Are you surprised that I didn't pick Bilquis, Queen of Sheba, the one who uh, consumes men with her vagina? I thought, <laughs> I thought about it. Straight in there. But I thought it'd be too sort of first base. I mean, it's very first base. Yeah. And... You know, we both know that not a lot of things go in my vagina and definitely not whole men. Oh, good God. Right, moving hastily on. Uh, filling out our pantheon is Pilot TV's very own Mad Sweeney. He may not technically be a god himself, but all of them are among his celebrity friends. It's Boyd Hilton. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, it's weird being on this mic. It's a whole different world. Yeah. Can I also just say the, the, the sad resigned shake of the head that Boyd did when we did our vagina bit then yeah. was one of the yeah. most heartbreaking things I've seen all week. Here we go again. Oh, God. It's Terry and her vagina. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm sorry, Boyd. It's fine. If I were a god, guys, I would be Momoth. Do we know Momus? Nope. Momus was the Greek god of satire, mockery and poets, as well as, wait for this, the spirit of evil-spirited blame and unfair criticism. I don't, story. Mm, I don't know if any of your criticisms are unfair, particularly. You just have a lot of them. Does it mean that you get unfairly criticised or that you are the god of unfair criticism? I like to think I'm very misunderstood, but no, I think it's me criticising. I looked, uh, okay. but there, there was no god of uh, patronising. You know, I look. Yeah, I think that is the closest. There is right. one. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, the closest yeah. I get. Okay. Yeah, Momus. Right, enough God bothering. Let's jump into what we've all been watching this week. I know what Terry's been watching, so Boyd, get your crash helmet on, strap in. <laughs> Off you go, Terry. <laughs> so, I watched the Louis III documentary this week, which we didn't review last week because there was far too much telly to review. We reviewed five shows, yeah. and so we decided not to review the Louis Theroux, which was either the best or worst decision we've made yet on the Pilot <laughs> TV podcast, because I watched it on the telly, and I was livid. And actually, I wasn't alone. There was a few um, of us women talking about it on Twitter. So essentially, this was about college rapes and sexual assaults, and it's they've been... In America, since Trump's taken over, they've been trying to walk back some of the measures that Obama's government had put in to basically put the weight of investigations and cases involving college rape, move the weight from the accused to the victim, right? So essentially making it easier to investigate, to take action against um, these people. Now, the whole thing was told from the perspective of men who'd been accused of some kind of either sexual misconduct, sexual assault or rape, which in and of itself I was quite taken aback by because I think platforming people is, is something you should take really seriously. I think the narrative around false reporting of sexual assaults is one that is exactly that. It's a false narrative. Statistically, they say anywhere between 2 and 8%, depending on the data, but essentially... 
it is very, 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 very rare that women do false reporting. So it made me incredibly uncomfortable that they were kind of platforming because the whole thing, the whole premise was these poor boys have been accused. Now, the main guy and the main story that is told, he essentially ends up lying to the production team. He lies to Louis. He, one of his friends come forwards and basically says that he's been, um, he told him to stalk this girl on social, to harass her that he'd seen him do non-consensual things to other people, including him. And essentially, this guy kind of, you presume, is lying by the end. And it turns out there's a post-credits thing where it says um, that he'd been suspended from Yale. I think he was at. However, the victim refused to speak to Louis, which I think is fair enough. If if you've Mm. been raped, um, if somebody asked me to talk about it, I would absolutely choose not to. However, they shared incredibly graphic details of what she said happened from the police report. I cannot imagine having the most gruesome details of something like that read out on national television. And... There was one woman who was interviewed who claimed that she'd been raped and Louis asked her at one point, you know, oh, was there a point where you just kind of gave in and let it happen because you you didn't want to struggle anymore? I mean, just the questioning of her, I found incredibly insensitive and against everything that any guidance is given around um, rape interviews and interviews with survivors. There was never at any point did I see a statistic basically sharing how low the incidences of false reporting were. So I felt like it had no context. I just found the thing, the whole thing incredibly unbalanced and very weird. And this bait and switch they did over this boy, to me, was used... He essentially became a bit of a narrative device for this big Louis gotcha moment. But you didn't learn anything more about college campus culture. You didn't learn anything more about rape on college campus culture. I found the whole thing really unsettling, to be honest. Um, and I don't know why it was made in that way boy yeah. did you watch yes this? i did come on then okay um i'm not i mean i kind of largely agree with you but i think um have you read he has talked about it so have you read that he did a couple of interviews he i think from his point of view it's one of his many many documentaries where he does look at perpetrators rather than victims so he's done that all the way through his career which is true yeah. so he mean you know he's literally did a whole practically whole series where he's interviewing people in prison for murder etc now i think there's been a slight problem with the way the whole thing has been framed by the way because i think it has been framed as a documentary about the phenomenon of sexual assault on u.s campuses and as you say particularly topically because they're rowing back on 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 how they investigate these things in the trump's america and yet it really as you say became this particular story about this one guy and again i think he will see it as well it's valid because in the end we exposed this guy for for what he is and he himself exposed himself by by being clearly embarrassingly dishonest. I guess all I'm saying is I think in his mind it's justified. But that one guy was interesting, right? So he basically tells his story, is completely credible, Louis believes him. Louis believes him, yeah. And it's only because his friend comes forward. Right, that's another point. Yes, that's a good point. Another man (laughs) comes forward going, he's lying. And only at that point does Louis go back and ask him a question. And my point is, all we ever hear in rape cases is that first bit, right? The incredible thing about the friend coming forward, about the main guy accused, is if he hadn't have come forward, then what would happened then then we're we supposed to believe this seemingly credible guy and his story you know it's only because this guy came forward that he's exposed yeah so because a woman's account of what happened in and of itself isn't enough the moment at which it's pivoted into you start to think there's something wrong with him is when his male friend confirms that the guy is totally dodgy and has done things in the past yeah And that concludes this Louis Theroux Pilot TV special. Join us next week when we'll be examining in depth. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, 
Boyd, what yes. have you been watching? In sharp contrast, I've been watching a light comedy. Um, Time Wasters starts... This goes out on Monday, doesn't it? It starts today on ITV2 at 10 o'clock. It's a really lovely, funny, actually sharper than you might think comedy. This is series two. It's written by a guy called Daniel Lawrence Taylor, who's a brilliant talent. Mm. It's all about a black jazz band who, from the present day, who in the first series went back in time in the lift in their building. What? Yes, to the 20s. And it was all about, it's kind of like a time travel comedy. In this second series, they go back to the 50s, the time of Windrush and all of that. And so kind of the racism of, of society, British society, is in there in the background, dealt with very, very well. But it's also brilliantly funny and kind of cheeky and silly and engaging. And the characters are very well drawn. It's a really, really fun show, Time Wasters. It starts tonight and uh, six parts. It's really, really good. And also I want to mention Now Apocalypse, which started yesterday, which is Greg Araki, you know, the US indie filmmaker and if you like and i kind of do i do have a soft spot for greg Araki. Like, i think he is a kind of maverick you know force in american independence he basically makes f- films about sexy hot la people um and being polymorphously perverse all having sex with each other and there's always like apocalyptic cults going on in the background and this tv show is all of his films combined together into one 10 part thing which is quite fun okay on the plus on amazon prime and what's that called it's called now apocalypse now apocalypse my arm. Well, I well, I watched the rest of Russian Doll, which I hadn't finished. Oh, so I finished good. Russian Doll. In the middle of this, I had a slight wavering in my faith. I thought, oh, I had that classic thing where I'm like, I don't think I like any of you, as I have a tendency to. That said, I think there were only a couple of episodes where I wobbled, and then the latter half, it really picks up, gets really properly dark. It does dip. Yeah. I agree with you. But it like, it, but it picks up speed again. I thought the end was great. The last few episodes were fantastic, especially when it all starts to kind of come together. Mm. Uh, and some of it was actually quite, you know, emotionally. Punchy. So I enjoyed that a lot. It's, I'm, I'm a right thinking it is transformed when the guy comes in. Yes. Well, it changes the, not, the whole feel of the show. It just changes the whole feel of yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, brilliantly, I thought. Like, yeah. that was, that, for me, the whole thing suddenly... But there's a section there, I think, where it wears slightly. Because they go through a dynamic and then it doesn't shift up a gear long enough. Right. It kind of it keeps doing the same thing for a little bit too long. And then it, and then it yeah. finds its group. But very, very good. Russian Doll very much enjoyed that. And... I'm really sorry to say I was home uh, one night this week and I was bored and for lack of anything better to do, I began a rewatch of Sons of Anarchy. Oh, for God's sake. Seven this years. Is like, this is Seven years you. of it. This is so you. But I'm going to try really hard not to make it like The Shield, so it's not going to consume you, my Are you life. watching the, the spin-off thing on, on BBC Two? Mayans, yeah. Oh, right. Is that, how it's that, is that good? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right. not as good as the original, but that no. partly made me want to go back and revisit oh, right, this. So okay. I've started Sons of Anarchy again and I will try not to bang on about that every single week. <laughs> Let us move on to Make James Laugh. Uh, This week's misguided attempt uh, to make me laugh comes courtesy of Ben Murray Holmes at Red Flost, who suggested Frasier, specifically Season 4, Episode 18, Ham Radio. In this episode, talk radio host and qualified psychiatrist Dr. Frasier Crane breaks from his usual programming and opts instead to put on a live radio drama, specifically a murder mystery and hijinks ensue. Now... Full disclosure, I've seen every single episode of Cheers, but never one single episode of Frasier prior to this. Oh, that's weird. What? That's really weird. Hang on, weird. hang on. What's the, what's the correlation? Frasier's spin-off, Frasier's spin-off of yeah, Cheers. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going, hang on, you, you idiot. No, I thought what? he was just randomly starting to name shows. No. <laughs> that, that, I mean, Frasier and Lilith started out as regulars in the yeah, Cheers yeah, bar, yeah, and yeah. then yeah. Frasier got his own show. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't follow him when he jumped. Now, Empire's Nick the Semlin did a complete Frasier rewatch about a year or so ago, and even this didn't move me 
to dive in, but now dive in I have, and it was okay. <laughs> uh, are you both Fraser fans? Yes. I uh, yeah. It's it's second only for me to Seinfeld, which oh, was last really? week. Really? Yeah. I love Fraser. I absolutely love Fraser. I will watch it, rewatch it again and again and again. It's kind of al- almost more. I've probably watched it more than I've watched Seinfeld. Wow. Because right? I th- and I think yeah, and I've watched that episode probably dozens of was times. Was that a good episode? Yeah, it's a brilliant pick. episode. Okay, good, good. Uh, it's definitely in the top ten. Like fine, I would say. fine. I've got a couple that I slightly prefer, but right. it's, it's a, it, there's an episode where he creates his own theme tune, <laughs> which is slightly similar. Yeah, which I love. We hide an orchestra and choir because this <laughs> so, felt so like a breaking of the formula episode. Yeah, yeah. Which that, obviously, right. if you're not, if you're new to the show, Absolutely. it's kind of lost on me. Yeah, um, but it is a classic. It's an absolute classic. Yeah. Yeah, I did find most of the characters quite irritating. If I'm but isn't that the point? Yeah. Well, maybe. maybe most that is. comedy characters are probably quite yeah. irritating. That's kind of the basis, isn't it? Not us. massively likable. Yeah. Not yeah. always, though. That's where the humour comes from. Yeah, okay, maybe. Niles is the more... so it, it, Sympathetic. Gra- Niles is the more sympathetic mm. brother. And the great thing about Fraser is it's basically a gay sitcom in disguise because it's these two incredibly camp, over-the-top effectively gay people who are brothers you know in the in the in the in the way the show goes out but everyone who worked on it was gay mostly gay men who worked on it and created it and there are lots of brilliant episodes where they won awards for the fact that they dealt with you know Fraser people mistake them for being gay constantly everyone mm. assumes Niles is gay mm. so it's kind of like that was one of the, the cleverest things about it and the humor is very I think heightened camp you know whatever yeah. whatever you want to call it but the wit and the amb- the ambition of it. I'm reviewing it ahead of no, you. Go, Sorry, go, do it, do but it, do what it. I love it is it is it, it's so clever. It's so smart, and it's not afraid to embrace smartness itself. You know, it's it's it was an, again number one American sitcom, mainstream, absolute massive hit across you know across America and the world, and yet it's about these two unbelievably pompous, smart aesthetes, if you want to call them that, and um, it really worked. Well, I've I've always found that the most astonishing thing about it because. It really, the writing, I mean, it's very different, but it's not like the writing is any any more kind of massively mass market than even like Curbed or something. And, yeah, right, and the yeah. fact that it, it became such a huge hit when the writing, as you say, is bang on. It's definitely like the, the, all the stuff with Niles is very like yeah. everybody understands what's <laughs> yeah. going on. And the fact and it's so smart and so brilliant and so... And you and the fact that it was a massive hit, I was yeah. like, did half the people understand what they were watching? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I so like, you, it was okay. It was okay. Better like, or oh worse God. than Seinfeld then? Oh, that's tricky. Because that was okay as well. I think yeah, to this that was, was your this considered was, verdict. This is a similar is level it each of okay. Week, is this going to be each week? Make make James Love. It's going to be. It was okay. That's going to be your considered verdict. I enjoyed Community. <laughs> Well, the thing with this, the thing with this, so I, I thought it was a bit slow to get started. I found when he was putting the cast together, I was a bit like bored, 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 bored. And then when the actual production, the the drama production kicks yeah. in, uh, and it's very physical, it sort of it feels. I mean, it's not improv, but it has that sense. Everything just falls into chaos, and it's anarchic, and that's extremely well written and extremely mm. well performed. Loads of great physical comedy there, and that I really enjoyed. Weirdly, right up until I, I thought it lost its edge a little bit towards the end. Like, I, I like the, the sort of the bulk of it, and then the last bit I thought got a little bit silly. But uh, but yeah, I did I did uh, I did pretty like it. You know, with the egos colliding, and you know, and it gets it gets sort of progressively more daft. But um, did it did it make me laugh? No. Oh Not once God. out loud. No. Did you smile? Wow. I did smile. That's sorry, Ben. That's all you got. You got a smile, which means you failed. 
Uh, even so- with even Gil, isn't that Gil Chesterton, the actually gay character? Talk about his character walking through the fens and spinnies. <laughs> that, that is a brilliant. <laughs> Definitely smiled there. Oh. Definitely smiled there, but that was pretty much it. I'm sorry to say I'm probably sticking to cheers. I'm liking this scale we've come up with where there's like, yeah. you know, a smile. Is a smile like halfway along the scale to a laugh? Yeah, well, it's say? like I'm clearly amused. I'm just not amused enough to erupt into laughter. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Right. If you would like to add your suggestion to the growing list of, uh, in inverted commas, comedies I'm being forced to sit through, then do hurl your suggestions to me on Twitter uh, or indeed on Instagram, for I'm available there as well, at James C. Dyer. Be sure to note both the show and the suggested episode that will prove the most lolsome. Should we move on to news? Yes. Mm. There's a Walking Dead spin-off. Another one. Is there? Yes. Oh, they've announced a new Walking Dead spin-off <laughs> to coincide with the fact, I, I can only assume, that the current ninth season has all-time low ratings. Um, but they've announced another spin-off. They've not said anything about it. And this is not to be confused with Fear the Walking Dead, the existing spin-off, nor with the Andrew Lincoln-verse <laughs> movies they're planning. I was going to say, but there is a, a wider... Walking Deadiverse. Yes, there right. is. The yeah. WDTVU, <laughs> oh, uh, if you will. Uh, Kill me. I don't know what this will be. I can only assume it will involve zombies. Don't know what else to say about that. Okay. Not, not sure right, whether thanks. I care or not, but Good. that's some news for you. Anything um, else? Brie Larson, um, obviously, who is in Captain Marvel, which is out today, which is Friday, and actually yesterday in some places. But um, it is International Women's Day. Or was as, when we recorded. As we... I was just going to finish that sentence. <laughs> That's brilliant. Stop live producing me. <laughs> like, He's mansplaining man- International yeah. Women's Day. <laughs> <laughs> what, this is the oh, yeah. best way to discuss it, the fact that we are not actually recording. I think you'll find, Terry, that International Women's Day was indeed on Friday was, and not today, which is Monday. I was just going to finish my own sentence as a woman, um, but James did it for me. So yeah. the, yeah. I am speaking to you on International Women's Day and never have I felt more powerful or more visible. Um, uh, Brie Lawson, currently Captain Marvel. Um, we know very little about this, but she signed on to star in an executive produce a series for Apple as we know they're kind of aggressively moving into TV production original productions it is an untitled series about the CIA so uh, Maggie Martin who uh, writes Animal Kingdom um, is going to write it and produce it and apparently it's an adaptation of a memoir that's not out yet called Undercover Coming of Age in the CIA I can only presume that Brie Larson will be the one both coming of age and being in the CIA Um, I mean She's an incredible actor. I could watch her do anything, including be Captain Marvel and shoot fire out of her fists. So yeah, this is going to be a, a less daft. Uh, see, this is radio, so everyone will have missed that particular bit of physical comedy when you failed to put a piece of cookie in your mouth and dropped it on the desk. Let's move on. Um, yeah, so this uh, sounds a bit like you know, uh, was it Covert Affairs with Piper? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So it's probably a less ridiculous yeah. iteration of that. I would yeah. suggest. And I think Chris Evans has also um, signed on to Apple to do a TV yes. thing as well. So yeah. they've kind they're of oh, they're signing loads of big, yeah. huge people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. we don't know quite how we're getting any no. of this stuff because this streaming service has yet to materialise. What about Phoebe Waller-Bridge's new thing? Yes. yes, we're all excited about this. Yes, we are. On top of doing the flea bag and the, the Killing Eve, love the flea bag. The flea bag. She is now doing a show. A new show for HBO called Run. The in, Run. The Run, in which she will appear. It's not called The Run, it's <laughs> no, called it's Run. Called in which she'll appear in a recurring role. It's a romantic comedy thriller. We like those. I think, you know, that pretty much sums well, up slightly. Hang on. Go on. A romantic comedy thriller. Yeah. 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 All the feels. Yeah. What do you mean? What do I mean? That's the official description of it. Of it's like Run. What? Run. 
romantic comedy thriller. Um, well, Killing Eve's kind of a romantic a comedy bit, yeah, thriller, right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, where's the romance in well, Killing Eve? Well, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's, that there's, a, bit of, under, there's un- a bit of sexual tension between them at points. There is, there's, right. there's some yeah, romance exactly. there. Exactly. Well done. Yeah. And uh, it stars Merritt Weaver as a woman who one day gets a call, a text from an old flame played by Donald Gleeson, inviting her to take a life-changing journey with him. Wow. It's quite sounds quite a concept and exciting. And because it's on HBO, it'll also be on Sky Atlantic and now TV here. So I'm generally extremely excited. Oh, I'm on board for that. Do you know what else I'm on board for? <laughs> Terrible links. <laughs> costing yes. is it costing news of something to do with <laughs> oh, you some think, nerdy... Did you guys hear? Did you guys hear about the uh insert generic fantasy <sighs> thing? No. <laughs> All right, all right, fine, fine. Um, no, no, I do have, Boyd, I know what you're thinking, and yes, I will get on to yeah. that. No, what I was going to talk about first was the Game of Thrones Season 8 trailer, which dropped last oh, week yes, and was did. pretty mega. It had dragons, it had undead horses, it had everything you possibly could want from a Game of Thrones trailer, and I am down for that. Mm. Couldn't be more excited. However, there was another trailer that dropped, which I am less down for, which was Good Omens, the adaptation oh, really? of the Terry Pratchett Neil Gaiman book. I really, really, really want to like this series, but frankly, that oh, trailer you know the problem was not with great. Uh, you know the problem with the Good Omens trailer and the Good music. Omens as a whole? No, 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 it's a comedy. This is this is an out and out because I've seen quite long clips of it, and it is an out and out comedy. But that's fine. So it's really, book. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a totally yeah. So it's got this high, you know, yeah. It's got these high concepts of devil and angel yeah, and all yeah. of that. No, I but it's it. Michael Sheen yeah. and um, David Tennant yeah. as a comedy duo. Honestly, angel and that's demon. That's the whole mm. basis of it. But it's absolutely the tone of it is out and out. I guarantee you comedy. So mm. that's why you don't she like it. That's, that's why you don't get it. I do like they cast uh, Brian Cox as Death, the voice yeah. of Death, because Death. Hmm best character because he's a crossover character from the Pratchett books who always speaks in block capitals and I love him and I always thought mainly spoke in the voice of Brian Cox so yeah, that's nice fair enough. can I say Rum Powell of the Bailey Rum Rum Powell <laughs> Rum Powell of, of the Bailey of the Bailey this is the most random and yet brilliant news that which is Emily Mortimer um she's working on a revival of Rum Powell of the Bailey <laughs> It's the show we've all been oh, waiting for. We've particularly been waiting because the way Terry pronounces Rum Powell is Rum so Powell. great. It's but, an extra syllable. But her dad created... I didn't yes. realise her dad created yes. the Don original. Morton, yeah. Did he? Um, but does that mean she is going to be a female Rum Powell? I hope so. <laughs> I, hope, I, hope, I really hope she's going to be a female Rum Powell, yes. Because <laughs> that's oh a good God. idea. Re, yeah. yeah, reboot it. Re, yeah, do a, do a gender, gender swap. Gender yeah. swapped Rum Powell of the Bailey. <laughs> Ron Powellette. Of Speaking Bible. of reboots, did you hear about Mad About You? <laughs> yes, I did. They're rebooting. Ma- well, yes. They're not even rebooting. They're continuing Mad About You. So it's picking mm. up with uh, with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt <laughs> as kind of uh, you know middle ages with their own with their own yeah. kids. Why don't and stuff. you do Mad About You next week as as Mike James? Have you ever watched Mad I About You? I have watched oh, Mad, so about you. Mad About You. No, I, I stopped watching Mad About You because there was a Friends Mad About You crossover. Uh, Remember was, this? Yes, yeah. yeah. Because Ursula's in it, and uh, and I watched Mad About You. Mad About You it was great. Murray the dog, everything. Oh, that's great, all of us. So, so yeah. Frasier and Seinfeld. No, but Paul Reiser was in Aliens, which is my favourite film. Oh, so that's really that's, that's um, I think largely the reason why. But I'm, I'm down for this. It's on a very obscure channel, though. I I thought I knew. You know, I like I pride myself on knowing a lot. But Spectrum Originals. I've never heard of it. What the actual fuck? is that no idea it's if, not if Boyd if TV's Boyd <laughs> Hilton hasn't heard of your TV <laughs> channel you're doing something very yeah. wrong I mean it's, it is America it's fallen down some kind of televisual howl yeah. <laughs> 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 we should um, uh, laughter aside yes we should recognise the death of 
Luke Perry. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes, um, that was a, a shame. Luke Perry, who had a stroke prior to last week's podcast and unfortunately died uh, just as last week's podcast went out. Yes. Uh, which is a real shame. In fact, there have been testimonials pouring in from every corner of the internet from everyone who said he was apparently the nicest man ever. 52. Um, 52 years old. Obviously made famous for playing Dylan McKay on Beverly Hills 90210 in the 80s. More recently seen in Riverdale as Archie's father. Uh, and uh, and lest we forget, appeared in the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer film. Yeah, yeah for um, And he really, he really kind of, um, he'll always be associated with my youth and kind of, I fell in love with telly and films for the same reasons I fell in love with books, which is they were just such a great form of escapism. Most people know that I grew up in like a shit hole, hell hole, a, but, shit, a shit hole, a shit hole, hell hole. Um, and um, I used to watch. We used to have a telly that um, we got from this place where you rented it and you had to put 50p's in the back to be able to watch it. It was like for electric meters, but wow. for tellies. And when we were really skimp, we couldn't afford to watch, we couldn't put any 50p's in to watch the telly. Um, and I remember I always was always panicked that it would happen during Beverly Hills 90210 because I would just fantasize about that being my life and one day ending up. And they're like, t- the tick, 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 ticking, because it would tick as well, just to show you how much time you had left. Wow. Um, always reminds me of that and Luke Perry always reminds me of that time and like of the of the optimism and hope I mean and this is becoming a weird thing but um yeah really sad but as you said all everybody said is what a genuinely lovely human being he was in real life yeah we talked about this a bit on the Empire podcast as well like people like Olivia Munn came on so many people say he was their first crush mm. you know which is kind of uh it's nice but yeah poor old uh Luke Perry at the age of 52 in slightly happier news, some casting for Picard, which I think we can both agree, all of us can agree, is very exciting. How can there be more? Because there hasn't been any other casting. I'm sure you've talked about this every week for the last year. Yeah. Well, Big Little Lies actor Santiago Cabrera and blind spot actress Michelle Hurd have been uh, have been added to the cast of Picard. Uh, Cabrera is apparently playing the pilot of Picard's ship, who's also a thief. And Heard is playing a former intelligence officer with a terrific memory who's got drug and alcohol problems. So there's a little bit of grim, Ooh. you know, Ken Loachess drama there Ooh. for you, Terry. So, it you know. sounds quite my street. Yeah, I think you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. More excitingly, The Sinner has been renewed. Did you see that? That's good. Third season of the absolutely fantastic drama that's shown here on Netflix, shown on the USA Channel in America. And Matt Bomer is going to be the new guest lead. Oh, of... so do you think it'll follow the same thing where it yeah. takes a different case Yes, it each? will. Yeah, so Bill Pullman's back as the yeah. detective and he's investing a new case which starts with a car crash, apparently. So there's some car crash um, and there's some weird investigation as to why the car crash happened and Matt Bomer is, is heavily involved in that situation. He will be presumably either the victim or the accused or something. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's still have my love the it's it's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I really want to. I really James. want to. I just have not watched it yet. I can't, you see, I can't decide where you're going to fall on it. Well, maybe I should... I should... Oh, Shelf you know, Sons of Anarchy for a while and watch this instead. Yeah, this, yeah, this intrigues me whether you yeah. watch the first first season. Right. That's the Jessica Biel one, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll definitely do that. Did you guys hear that uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's A Hundred Years of Solitude is being adapted by Netflix, which boggles my mind. No. I was just going to say, how? I have no idea. Now, I have, anyone who has seen my reading habits, I read almost exclusively fantasy fiction. But at one point, someone bought me A Hundred Years of Solitude, and I read that, and what the actual fuck? I don't think magical realism is my thing. I did finish it, even though there was a bit where one sentence went on for about four pages, and I thought I was going to die. But um, it's, it's slightly unreadable and therefore unadaptable. I would. Well, Netflix would are going to do it, so we can look forward to that one. Mm.
did you see someone tweeted us this week about man like Mobeen? Did you see this? So, um, yeah. Now, I'm I actually, love that. Right, it's brilliant. And we should have mentioned it earlier. In, so the second season went out recently on BBC Three and then was shown on BBC One. It is news because a third season has been commissioned. So that's the news element, quite rightly. And it's a brilliant show that I've been meaning to mention for a long time. And really thanked that person for tweeting me who I didn't make note of. I should have made note Man of. Man like Mobeen. Man like Mobeen. It is a... BBC Three comedy, half-hour comedy about a working-class Muslim man and his cohorts in a part of Birmingham, a working-class part of Birmingham. The first episode of Series Two is particularly incredible because it yes. deals with knife crime. Yes, it's so it's incredible. topical right now. Um, so definitely, you could even start with that one. There's first, so all, all, there's eight episodes on iPlayer now, what, Series One and Two. The, but the way that episode deals with knife crime is, I think, brilliant. And then the second episode of this recent season series two is brilliant as well which is all about the nhs and set entirely in have you seen that one yeah. set in the nhs world and i love that episode as well and i'll have to say i hadn't watched the first season and i still haven't and i jumped straight into the second and i'm loving it and um i was going to talk about him later because uh, he's in one of the shows we're reviewing uh, this week yes. um because this is you won't like it james no i don't know um but um other normal people yeah. you will like it yeah it's really great. And it's, it's uh, Guz Khan create, co-created and co-writes it with Andy Milligan. Do you know who Andy Milligan is, James? No. He writes all of Anton Deck's scripts. Oh, he's Antor yes. Deck's writer. He's Deck. <laughs> and honestly, he does that brilliantly. He's a brilliant gag guy. Did, did you think he wrote their bits in Richard Curtis' Love Actually script? Antor Deck. Maybe, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Should we move on to reviews this week's mm. reviews? We have back to our regular three shows this week. And first up, we have Love, Death and Robots, an animated anthology series produced by David Fincher. This one consists of 18 shorts covering a weird kind of cross-section of genres, but regularly involving robots, mutants and assorted sci-fi elements. Uh, as such, it's quite a hard one to review. Um, I watched the first two of these and had quite different reactions to the ones I saw. The first, Sunny's Edge, was a kind of photoreal CGI frankly, video game cutscene, about a woman pit fighter and a giant lizard avatar. And I didn't dislike this so much as despair that we live in a world where this was made. <laughs> it's the worst kind of adolescent kind of wank fantasy. It's massively sexualised female characters, one of whom, frankly, wears no top under her jacket for no discernible reason. It's got blood, it's got swearing, massive violence, there's rape, there's a lesbian sex scene. It's honestly, it's like, it's like the writer has kind of sat down with a group of horny 13-year-old boys and crowdsourced ideas for the screenplay. It's sweary, but like in that really forced way, where they're just doing it to seem cool. And like, I like a well-aimed C-bomb as much as the next person, and I'm a big fan of swearing in general, mainly because it is both big and clever. But... You know, lose it, use it well. You know, like Paul Feig does in his movies. Like, it's really funny. He makes swearing funny. And this was just jarring. It's like, I th honestly, if they'd spent a little more time on the script and a little less time adding prominence to the female character's nipples, I think this would have been a lot better. <laughs> but how many have you watched? You just, just the two out of eighteen. Okay, so I watched seven. So they're, they're weird. So also, hell. so there are. So we should. Say, so yeah, there are eighteen. Of varying in length, I think, from about five minutes to, I think the longest one is about 15, Oh, OK, minutes, I didn't realise right? they varied. Yeah, mm. they vary in okay. length. They've been curated, effectively, I think, by David Fincher and Tim Miller. So they've kind of, they have teamed up to, to it's, it's officially in the, in the um, press release, it's like they presenting these mm -hmm. efforts. And I, I think it's, what's interesting is, I think this all originates years ago. The two of them wanted to make a heavy metal movie together. You know, heavy metal yeah, is yeah, this American magazine, which effectively is for those dudes you're talking about. Yeah. And they would heavy metal would always have these photorealist images of often of women in states of undress and like literally like on next to 
cars and bikes and dudes in heavy metal kind of clothing. It was a pretty adolescent kind of magazine. And so I think I think this, the origin of this whole thing goes back to that, right? So I think that's one thing to bear in mind. But of the seven episodes I watched, and, we're, and there's only seven we're allowed to review due to the embargo, I think it's been shown at South by Southwest, mm. the weekend that's just gone. There was about four of them that had um, photorealist boobies really? involved. Yeah. Uh, one which actually had a sex scene, photorealistic animated sex scene between a man and a woman what that then turned into something that? else. It is extraordinarily adolescent. All of those ones that involve a lot <sighs> of boobies animated. I just was like, this really is like heavy metal that you wanted to make maybe 15, even 20 years ago. I don't know, a long time ago. Yeah. And it was ditched for a reason, I think. It and feels, it feels so yeah. like 90s. Right. And just, it oh, does. It's so pure. Technically, it's kind of off. A lot of it is amazing. A lot of it looks amazing. Almost like, you know, like David Fincher style uh, films. Like a lot of it looks, you know, looks a bit like Fight Club or a bit like Seven or whatever. Mm. But so the visuals are incredible. But yeah, the stuff, the topics and the subject matter. And it is very adolescent it's in there's one there's one that's not like that that's called alternative history you see that one no. which has a running joke about alternative history of hitler <laughs> that is so puerile and saying out to, oh we're making fun of hitler and we're putting hitler in all these different alternative histories and they're all really lame and unfunny i was shocked by how crap i thought almost all of them were there was one <laughs> that i liked one solitary one that i liked of the seven i watched which was called when the yogurt took over which is literally about yogurt taking over the world. And I thought that was funny and fun yeah. and just breezy and silly and, made, and kind of was amusing. But the rest I did find incredibly laborious. Like I say, I, only watched that, I watched that awful PRR first one and I watched the second one, which was Three Robots, which is more comedic, that one was. It was kind of like a trio oh, of Oh, yeah, robots. but that wasn't funny, was it? Yeah, passing commentary on the human condition in this sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland, but it was neither as smart nor as insightful as it seemed to think it was. So I watched um, one and then refused to watch any more because... <laughs> you, watched, I, you watched the one I just described, yeah, the first one. the first yeah. one. So I, the, my note on this, I'll just get my notebook, <laughs> is gang rape is not a narrative device, So which it's used as a narrative device. It is the story mm-hmm. of a woman who has been brutalised by many, many, many men. And on then, a council estate. On a council estate. And when they're done no. with her, they carve her skin up and can you imagine anything more humiliating and shameful they say than having your shame carved right into your skin it was distasteful it was grim it i thought it looked a bit shit as well to be honest but mainly that's just because i was annoyed the whole premise was awful and it just felt like a masturbatory yeah, kind of, you know, you're the avenging woman who's had her dignity, her innocence, her femininity taken away because she was like, you know, sexual, the way she was sexualised aside, it was all very masculine and yeah. I've, I'm hard and aggressive because I've been brutalised in the worst possible way um, and been broken as a woman. Everything about it made me furious and um if there are any women listening to this podcast which i'm sure there are i would recommend that you do not watch this i don't even think it's for men either quite frankly um or no. not the kind of no. of men we would think you are for example yeah. i could not see you guys liking this no, i so found old. the whole thing just hateful to be honest um and <laughs> fetishistic and yeah horrible horrible but, but it did that <laughs> thing yeah. didn't it where it, in the end it thinks it's made some kind of feminist message yeah. but i'm sorry no. this whole thing and i checked written directed created by men no based shit. on a thing by men <laughs> and that I, I, I mean, I all the seven I watched. I don't. I think there was hardly a female creative. And I, if I got this wrong, but I pretty carefully checked all the credits. I think there was one of the seven I watched 
that had one scriptwriter element of, of a woman among like three maybe, but the rest was all mm. seemed to be created by men. I do think it's a bit disappointing. And maybe obviously there are another twelve or something of these that we haven't been able to review yet. Maybe some of those maybe are they're all... created by women. I don't yeah. know. I'm try- <laughs> hopefully there must be. But yeah, that first one is a shocker in in the exploit in, in being so exploitative. And that and a lot of that kind of carries on not quite as extremely badly as that one, but there's as I say, there's a lot of that element of of to it and it's disappointing. That is Love, Death and Robots. Drops on Friday the 15th of March on Netflix, but really just do yourself a favour and don't, unless you happen to be a 13-year-old boy, in which case, fill your boots. Next up, we have American Gods. This is Brian Fuller's adaptation of the Neil Gaiman novel, which has been absent from our screen since 2017. Now belatedly returns, divested of not only two of its cast members, but also of Brian Fuller himself. It's been two years since Mr. Wednesday's identity was revealed at Kristen Chenoweth's Easter party. If you didn't see that one coming, I don't know what to do with you. And the show is as beautiful and baffling as ever, although it's possible it's now also tipped over into rather crushingly boring as well. (laughs) It's possible. Thoughts? (laughs) Hedging your bets, James. That's brilliant. It's possible. What did you think? Oh, my God. We've got an interview in the current issue of, 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 of our magazine, the Pilot TV magazine, with the lovely Ricky Whittle, and he's a really nice guy, and he's the main role. And he talks about um, how, all right, we've had all this, this, these changes behind the scenes. It's been a rocky period behind the scenes. Yeah, so, it really has. Of, of, of showrunners fired, of new showrunners coming in, and even then some, you know, and the cast leaving, and all of that. And his whole tenor in this interview is, and fair enough, who can blame him is, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. The quality is, is maintained but it's just not. And so now you've got that extraordinary visual um, style that was established with season one, this very heightened, you know, heightened, literally heightened colours in there, mm. vivid kind of um, uh, over-elaborate use of slow motion, all of that. That's still there, but the story and the dialogue was just so dull. Yeah. And I just did not give a shit. It's very expository about, in this They're one. so expository. And the whole of the first series was really about Ian McShane's character, getting to know Rick character, and then wanting to, to, to tackle the new gods. So it's all about the new gods yep. of technology, media, etc., facing up to the old traditional gods of the ones you mentioned of love and sex and vagina-eating men. <laughs> yes. And fine. And we, and, but they created interesting settings and interesting yeah. individual episodes that had drama and incredible sequences some incredible of them sequences mm. there was a gay sex scene the that was gin, extraordinary yeah, yeah. there was but in this episode it was so banal and it was just him gathering all the gods together in this cheesy fairground yeah. place and it was just nothing and then i watched episode two as well and that just kind of carried on yeah. like and it's it, not good enough see yeah. the first was, season was slow but fascinating yeah right and really well constructed and this one to be fair it was it's, artful it was off i mean this is beautiful as well like visually yeah. it's very inventive sure. it's but it's nothing i guess it's not a huge progression from the first season but as, as you say it's just it's just it's just dark i imagine terry you had absolutely no fucking time for this so i did not watch the first season so <laughs> that made watching episode one <laughs> desperately confusing um i thought you know what the best i can say about it is i thought visually it looked great but the writing was like quite clumsy. Oh yeah, in pl- like mm. really clumsy in places. Really clumsy, really. Um, is. And I'd had I'd put talk, people had talked about you know some I'd read a review actually a review in Empire that we've got running next month, which was about how, how season one you know had some lovely vignettes and handled things that maybe a little bit better, but it just felt really really clumsy. It looked great. I had no idea what was going on for most of it. Um, I really liked Ian McShane because my nanny used to be really into him when he played Lovejoy. Um, Ricky Whittle, can't believe he left Hollyoaks. That's kind of my 
take on it. I'm not yeah. going to watch another one. No, no. I, I can't recommend it. Uh, Gillian Anderson didn't return for this season and Kristen Chenoweth refused to come back without Brian Fuller. Uh, I, I'd love to say they were hugely missed, but they just they just move on completely from the finale of the last one. And it's their absence is unfortunate, but that's not really the problem Brian here. Fuller's the main, a genius, are, though, the main right? takeaway, right, that's yeah. what I was about to say. The main takeaway is yeah. if you remove Brian Fuller from <laughs> yeah. your show and you base the whole thing on his tone, yeah, his and then his genius is, and he did this with Hannibal and he did this with season one of this, is it is, as you say, you could call it slow. Mm. He has his own pace and it is very deliberate and it is very ambitious and unusual, but you are compelled. It's got some way, he's, got, he's a great storyteller mm. and it's, he's got a unique vision and this has all of the kind of the trappings of it but not the script yeah. and it just doesn't work it is a shame that is American Gods which drops on Monday the 11th of March on Amazon Prime Video weekly though weekly yeah. not yeah. all of them at once just I mean because nobody needs that so if you wish to press on with that do so I must admit I'm out I'm done I'm finished with American Gods same, sorry same, I might yeah. just read the novel next and finally we have Turn Up Charlie uh, which is a Netflix original comedy starring Idris Elba as Charlie, an out-of-work DJ who hilariously accepts a job to nanny his famous best friend's 11-year-old daughter. What did you think of this one? Look. <laughs> it's not a great week, is it? <laughs> um, so I really wanted to like this. I was a bit, a little bit worried by the premise and, you know, comedy. And I know, obviously, Idris Elba, we should say. Love Idris. Um, Loads of time for Idris. Is, he stars in Executive Producers in this, mm. um, where he plays essentially a, a kind of struggling DJ um, who, as you say, it's got this famous best friend um, and his wife, who's an international DJ. They have a kid and he ends up being hired as that kid's manny. I don't even realise we were still using that as a word um, because, uh, you know, International Women's Day. Um, but, <laughs> and it, do you know what? It didn't start off kind of that horrendously. And at the, in the few early scenes was um, Guz Khan, who is the guy we mm. talked about earlier, who is in Man Like My Bean, who I just have so much time for kind of as an actor. Um, and there were some kind of funny observations, I think, about Nigerian kind of culture he lives mm. with his aunt in a spare room. Um, and the problem is the writing is honestly quite bad. Yeah. So it's it's really clumsy in places. The characters are ridiculous. So Piper <laughs> Piper Perebo, whose name I've never been able to say, Perebo, Perebo. I've no idea. Piper Perebo, um plays the mum and the wife of his best friend and you're meant to believe she's this like cool kind of, you know, global DJ and she I mean, no. Um and the child is how old's the child meant to be, Boyd? I'm looking at you um, right. eleven, I believe. Yeah, 11. eleven, yeah. The child and she, the child is obviously meant to be completely precocious. Um, played by Frankie Hervey, meant to be completely precocious and really, you know, um, spoiled but f- fabulously lonely inside. There's this scene where they go into her bedroom He's the dad and the mum kind of abandoned her that day, which is how she first ends up being um, looked after by um, Idris Elba's character, Charlie. And basically, they go in with this gift to say sorry, um, which looked like literally something from a tap shop. So it was like, looked like it must have cost 50p. You're meant to believe they're buying her love and her acceptance. And she's in this like shit bedroom that looks really cheap. The the dressing of the sets was terrible. And then she opens this drawer to put this gift in forlornly. <laughs> and there's like nine other cheap boxes looking at her. It just did. It wasn't slick in any real way in terms of how it looked. 
the writing, the perf- I mean, Idris is Idris is Idris, Idris right? Mm. Um, he is an incredible actor. Um, I don't think comedy is his thing. Uh, the support, as I said, the supporting cast aren't great. The whole thing rings really untrue for me. And she, there's this precocious child is just like drives me crazy and i know that she's meant to be irritating and it's meant to be a symptom of her relationship with her mum and dad and it's trying to tell you bigger things about balancing ambition with family and all this but it's so heavy-handed and so clumsily done and uh, not funny at all ever <laughs> and I, yeah, yeah, I felt so yeah. disappointed. It's, oh God. it's te- very shame. tepid. The humour's really broad. It's really saccharine sweet in places as well, horribly cloying. But more crushingly, it's just boring. Yeah, it and, is boring. And I wanted to love it. I love Big Driss in almost everything, but apparently, unfortunately, not in this. So he, he did do a comedy series for Sky One called In the Long Run, which um, showed, which aired last year. Uh, and it's back next year. There's an, they're making the season two, series two at the moment, and he's in that as kind of playing his own father. And it's set in the eighties, and it's a really good show. Mm. So that show, I know the one you mean. It's it's and and so um, his character is particularly comedic. So everyone else does the comedy in that show, which is interesting. Um, uh, so his, the character of his brother is really funny. Is a really funny guy, and he's, and that's the that's where most of the comedy comes from. And the kids, and there's like great, and that is is authentic. And so. I was quite looking forward to this. So I thought, okay, well, you know, that show, which was him doing a half-hour comedy, based very much on his life. Yes. Yeah. Great. This seems to be purely based on the fact that he is a DJ. Yeah. And the concept of him being, as you say, oh, my God, the Manny, is from the 80s, you know. And it's like a terrible mainstream sitcom idea, ITV, you know, sitcom, or, or NBC, American sitcom idea, that clearly no one wanted to do because it wasn't, a good idea fundamentally and they've just made it it's like the last 15 years haven't happened and the, oh my god the daughter is and I, it's not her fault she's been directed to be so irritating yeah. so I don't see how anyone is going to be able to watch it yeah. because I found, I found it so grating her character and her, what she's being forced to do. There was a scene where he takes her shopping in Liberty. Oh my god. In London. I, I, you know it was like what this scene almost felt like the only point of it is just to advertise liberty maybe I don't know I mean I have no evidence for that by the way it just felt like a bit of product placement for oh you know well, they by get the a cyber dog in Camden as well yeah, right? oh I they mean, do yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah the Camden is oh, I forgot knows, about that and he knows the market yes. alright to show how down to earth he is he Cam- knows the woman on the market listeners we all work our offices in Camden <laughs> and the setup that we're supposed to, led to believe in this show that Camden is the ultimate in London cool it's, it yeah. is not and hasn't been box. for 30 years <laughs> but also that it's like you know that's improper slumming it is yeah. taking her to Camden Market yeah. to Cyberdog so, where actually everything's really expensive yeah <laughs> to show how authentic and London he is I, oh no everything about it is just wrong it's, but, it's painful but I, I can't work out is it meant to, is it kind of meant to market him as a DJ is that kind of what it's meant to do I think that I think that's the one sort of bit of authenticity I thought right so he just, he's a DJ wouldn't it be great if we then did a thing about oh because he's a cool DJ being forced into this really uncool world of being a, a father figure yes, to this young... God forbid a man no, should look after a child yeah. <laughs> right, that is kind of the premise, yeah, isn't it? it? Is, that yeah. how funny is it? Intrinsically, the cool DJ might have to be a father of some kind. I mean, they even have at the beginning they have a European nanny, oh, yeah. right? Who's yeah. a classic European yes. nanny? Oh, but of... there's a hilarious dildo gag, yeah, so it's all but, okay. Oh my god! And it's and a bit. Um, the other thing you're meant to believe is that he's a loser. I mean, clearly he lives oh, with yeah. his aunt and he's not making much money. Mm. But he's also looks like Idris Elba. So <laughs> yeah. There's a bit. Ridiculous. There's yeah. a bit where his ex girlfriend walks in with this like. 
nowhere near as attractive as Idris Elba man because who is and he's meant to look like the loser in that situation oh God, and you're yeah. just going this isn't yeah. believable he's whatever <laughs> happens in life he still has the face of Idris Elba yeah that is Turn Up Charlie it drops on Netflix on Friday the 15th of March all I can do is apologise on behalf of this week's <laughs> what a television week. what a contrast yeah. so, like, last, last week, week amazing this week a shit box however everything that started last week is still on this week so there will be stuff to watch and there are a couple. I was going to say, in kind of, in, you, you often say to me after we do the podcast, "Oh boy, you didn't mention these new things." There is, there's a, there's an ITV four part drama yep. that I've watched some of with Catherine Kelly and Molly Windsor that's decent and quite compelling. What's it called? It's called Cheat. That Cheat? starts tonight, uh, hang Monday. On. When you God. say decent, it's not brilliant, but it's more. It's better than these things. It's better than all of these I, things. I love that our recommendations have become better than those things, but it probably is. still don't bother. Should people watch it though? Should people give up their time? You know, it's more gripping and compelling than this thing, but it's. It's not it's a classic. Not a it's just it's it's a it's a good decent ITV psychological thriller. Dear listeners, we can't decide if this is worth your time or not. <laughs> okay, that's the new I've, segment. What else have we got? Some people and Bounty Hunters, which is worth your time. It's Jack Whitehall's um, second series of his comedy drama thriller, which is fun, and it's with Rosie Perez, and it's kind of like his tribute to Midnight Run, the greatest film of all time. And I do like this show, and this starts on the Thursday on Sky Atlantic and LTV, and it is quite cin- more cinematic. You might think it's really well done. It's really well shot. I'm recommending. Why did we? watch that because i you know we can't watch everything we thought oh these two netflix things are going to be great uh, proof that not everything on netflix is necessarily that great no. much All as right. we love them well uh in this case i'm inclined to say rather than watching new stuff you're better off going to your dvd collection and pulling out a classic which segues us nicely into the banshee segment <laughs> so maybe we'll have something for you to watch here boyd what do you have well in honour of International Women's Day, which we are recording this on, as you interrupted Terry about <laughs> earlier in the podcast, yes, there's a great show called Psycho Bitches, oh, which went that out. Sounds feminist. Yes, it is. It's entirely made by women, written by women, and starring women. And um, it 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 went out. There were three series of it. It went out on Sky Arts a couple of years ago. And it, the, honestly, the talent involved. Rebecca Front is the main star, so she's in every episode. She's a therapist. And the idea of the whole show is that she gives therapy to famous people from history, okay. all played by a variety of brilliant women. Uh, this is in the very first episode. You get Catherine Tate as Eva Braun and Edith Piaf, Sharon Horgan as Jane Austen and Frida Kahlo, Katie Brand as Joan of Arc and George Eliot, etc. And it's really and Kathy Burke as the Mona Lisa. Honestly, the women involved in this series were absolutely incredible, and it's it's interesting, kind of fun. And genuinely original. Psycho Bitches. And it's all on Sky box sets. Psycho Bouncy Bitches box on Sky box sets. Yeah. All right, sounds good. Yeah. Terry, what do you have? Medium. Medium. Oh, uh. Patricia Arquette's medium. This, yeah. is, this, this game, this started, I seem to recall, at the same time as The Ghost Whisperer. and was very similar. I think it was just after, wasn't it? It was around the same time. I think it was the same season in the US. The same year, anyway. Probably. Right. Maybe. So, Possibly. For those who don't know what medium is, um, it is Patricia Arquette. Uh, my favourite of the Arquettes. And she is a um, woman who uses her psychic visions about dead people to solve crimes, essentially. The end. It's not like, yeah, so it sounds like medium. It sounds like it's either a bit average or it's really just about a self-published blogger. I mean, it is the ghost whisperer, (laughs) but instead of 
them coming to her as a ghost, they come to her as a psychic vision. It's 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 it's, it's, it's a, a psychic police it's procedural. It's a psychic yeah, it's police a pre- procedural. It's a psychic yes. police procedural. Yeah. Yeah. And why this not? Ran for like was it like seven years or something? Like it was pretty oh, popular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it, it might still be on. <laughs> no, it's definitely finished. It's definitely, it's definitely finished. finished. I watched uh, oh, I think yeah. the first couple of these when it when it first aired. Much I, like I watched the first couple of Ghost Whisperer. I just think she is incredible. She's yeah, she I is. Her. I think what like she's mm. did. Boyhood, but that was five years ago now. Yeah. Um, uh, True Romance, which is my second favourite film of all time. Yeah. She also was in a cracking episode of Law and Order SVU <laughs> where she played a long-term prostitute um, who was helping to find a serial killer. Uh, but she's... You you thought for a while, especially kind of, you know, late 90s, that she was really going to be one of the kind mm. of biggest household names when it came to being a huge massive movie star um i fell properly in love with her when she was in nightmare on elm street 3 the dream warriors oh my god mm. that is that is the best nightmare on elm street we had this conversation before the the scene where he pulls out their um their tendons to and makes the them puppet walk master yeah. as a puppet master yeah, that yeah. whole thing set in the psychiatric unit. so good oh my god so it's good. so good don't watch anything we've talked about this week. Go and watch, <laughs> Go and watch Nightmare on Elm Street, Elm Street 3. 3. The Dream Warriors. The yeah, Dream Warriors. that's a solid recommendation. It's very old brand, yeah. 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 And she dies in the most uh, brilliant way. Spoiler! <laughs> well, she hasn't said. <laughs> oh, right, she, oh, dies, that, yeah. she that's, dies. I mean, that's everybody a dies spoiler, in yeah. it. Does she die in it? Uh, when she gets her head shoved into the TV screen. <laughs> I mean, that's that, no, no, see, that. oh my God, that's a completely different blonde girl. That's not Patricia oh, Arquette's yeah, character. Oh my one. god! On International Women's Day, and you think <laughs> all women are the same? I am appalled. No, all white blonde women are the same. Yeah, that's the scene that has uh, Jar Jar Gabor in it. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, Patricia Arquette, she's kind of like the lead in it. No, she's uh, she survives. Oh, she's fine. Okay, that's mm. good. Well, it wasn't a spoiler, and yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a spoiler, but the <laughs> for somebody spoiler. else. For someone death. else. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Nightmare on Elm Street three. Good, good tip, Terry. That's a good banshee <laughs> for you there. Uh, my banshee this week is. Jimmy McGovern's Cracker. Oh. Uh, which is... Isn't Banshee supposed to be obscure? Wasn't yeah. that how we started yeah. that? No, no, and see, you particularly yes. were very insistent yes. on that. Yes, but I can just... This is obscure, not because... No, not. no, it is because chronologically it's obscure because it's so old oh. that millennials will never have heard of it, let alone <laughs> seen it. So I reckon I can get away with this. This is one of the best British dramas ever made, one of my all-time favourites. Uh, ran from 1993 to 1996 on ITV with a special, which is a 9-11-themed episode that dropped in 2006. It starred the incomparable Robbie Coltrane as Dr. Edward Fitz, Fitzgerald, a uh, criminal psychologist based in Manchester who consulted with the local constabulary to uh, to sort of catch serial offenders, essentially. Um, honestly, there, are, there, there really aren't words for just how good this show is. It was, uh, Or how incredible Coltrane was in it. He's this sort of chain-smoking, alcoholic, gambling-addicted adulterer, but he's A, completely hilarious... And B, I think thanks to to McGovern's like amazing screenwriting, he's blessed with these magnificent speeches. These sort of scenes where he breaks down suspects in the interrogation room and kind of grinds them into an intellectual pulp. Um, I, I, I honestly love this so much. It's funny, it's harrowing, it's deeply upsetting in places, really compelling. It also contains, I would argue, one of the best episodes of any show, To Be a Somebody, uh, which itself contains one of the most powerful scenes of any show, which is when um, uh, Robert Carlyle's Albie Kinsella stabs Christopher Eccleston in the street. And that is just so horrific. So, so good. Also, the um, uh, Terry, you'll love this one. You know, the rapist storyline, Men Should Weep? Mm-hmm. That's so upsetting. When I saw that, that was the most traumatised I'd ever been watching a TV show. 
Yeah, that is an incredible good. story. Yeah, that is absolutely. Yeah, but ge- genuinely, like this was like this. This and Prime Suspect, you know, were like the pinnacles of British drama at that time. And the supporting cast: Ricky Tomlinson, yeah, Geraldine Somerville, yep. Lorcan Cranich was amazing. Yep. as the one who hated him. His colleague absolutely despised Cracker. Yeah, he's really, he's good. really good. Barbara Flynn, um, is, as his wife, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's it's. It's so amazing. Each case in this, like each case, would kind of typically span two or three episodes. Mm. Uh, now, Jimmy McGovern left this midway through the third series, I think, and producer Paul Abbott took over the writing. Then McGovern did come back for the for the two thousand six special. There was also, I don't know if you saw this, boy, a US remake of this in ninety seven. Oh yeah, with uh, with Robert Pastorelli as Fitz and a young Josh Hartnett as his son. Wow. Uh, needless to say, it was unspeakably awful and only lasted <laughs> one season. <laughs> so don't. Uh, but don't Paul Abbott that. was involved in it quite. Yeah. And Robbie from, Coltrane had a cameo yeah, as another right, character, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean it was. Oh no, I meant dreadful. sorry. In Paul Abbott was involved from. What did you say? Did you say from? Like, yeah, so he was producing yeah, early on, but he started and writing as well. Yeah, but yeah, he, yeah, like yeah. It was McGovern was sure. driving it, you sure. know, absolutely. Um, and then Paul Abbott kind of took over and wrote some great episodes as well. Yeah, um, there's not there's not about. I think the the sort of last episode that was almost a standalone on its own of the original run was probably the weakest. White Ghost, the nine eleven one's good as well, but but yeah, the, some mm. some some cracking episodes in there, if you will. The, it, it, sorry, you uh, went. <laughs> I did. I did. I went there. Um, it was shot in four three, unfortunately, and and it, so was everything. In no, that, no. That, but that's what I'm saying. Fun. But when you watch it now, oh, that well, that yeah. I think I find quite off putting because it is okay. in four three. It's decades old, but it is a, I, it is a stone cold classic. Is it available on DVD for 99 p? Well, funny you should say that, Boyd. I oh implore everyone to track this down. It is available on DVD. You can get every single episode of Cracker in one glorious box set for six pounds. No, six pounds every episode of Cracker. Where from? From from any second handy typey place. Hang on, hang on. You can't say that, right? No, so the reason I'm, I'm listening that. to this and yeah, I right. want to go and get it now. Okay. Where do I go? The reason I was trying to be generic there was I was trying not to plug a shop which I've mentioned in the past because it feels like I'm on their payroll. Fine, if you go to Computer Exchange, it's six pounds. Go on their website. I think if, you have to. If you go on the Amazon Marketplace, I'm sure you can pick it up there for a similar amount of money. Go on to eBay, it's probably even cheaper. Regardless, there is no excuse for and I mean this, anyone who likes drama, entertainment or Good things should own this box set. Yes. Because Cracker is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> and on that note, that is it for another Pilot TV podcast. Uh, do feel free to follow all of us on Instagram and Twitter at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White and Terry L. White, respectively, and at Boyd Hilton. And I mentioned Instagram specifically as I'm, I'm finally learning how to, uh, to use that one after years of being solely on Twitter. So do stop by and laugh as I try to understand what a hashtag is. This is all very exciting. Uh, for more competent social media use, do follow Pilot TV itself at Pilot TV Mag, and of course the hashtag Pilot TV Podcast. If you'd like to pop over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating, that would be absolutely capital. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do recommend it to your friends, enemies, and random people you cross paths with on the street. Join us next week when, among other things, we'll be basking in the radiance of the OA season two. Now, take those headphones off, find your wallet and go hunt down that cracker box set because everyone needs a little fits in their life. Pilot out.